You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. We have the greatest workforce in the world here. This is the place to be. Despite the ups and downs, New York City is the greatest city in the world. And what makes us great are the people, right? And we have the greatest people, the smartest people, the greatest educational institutions, NYU, Columbia, New School. I mean, you could go right down the list. Just the human intellectual power here is the reason to be here. It's the place to be. It's like the song goes, you make it here, you can make it anywhere. That was Bill Abramson. This is Marnie Zollop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today's guest is one of the most renowned, respected, and loved leaders in New York City real estate, retail, economic development, and community. Bill Abramson is the Director of Brokerage at Buckbinder and Warren Realty Group, where he oversees all commercial and residential sales and leases. He serves on the Real Estate Board of New York, also known as REBNY, on both the residential rental and retail committees. Bill is the co-chair of the Union Square Partnership. He is a member of the Greenwich Village, Chelsea Chamber of Commerce and Village Alliance. Bill is also a recipient of the 2000 David Rockefeller Fellowship that helps develop top private sector leaders and engages them in New York City's public arena. He has been selected several times as commander for the day by the Policemen's Association and principal for a day by Pencil. Mayor Bloomberg appointed Bill to the Workforce Investment Board where he currently serves on the One Stop Committee. Bill and I recorded this conversation in late January, pre-COVID-19, before New York City and the rest of the world hit pause. While some of the conversation is evergreen and incredibly relevant, some of it is changing because of the current economic climate and world health pandemic. I reached back out to Bill on a call to get his thoughts and an update on some of the questions and topics that we discuss as they relate to now, April 6th, 2020. On this episode, Bill and I sync up about his early career in sports management, his journey into real estate, and his passion for economic development and community building. He shares how Buckbinder Warren is navigating and adapting to a new landscape shadowed by COVID-19. We talk about the New York City retail scene at the start of 2020, where it is now during COVID-19, and his thoughts on the future. And of course, he shares the workouts and wellness routines that fuel him for success. The first part of our conversation is the original that took place in January. The last 11 minutes was our recent catch-up. Bill and his team have developed and shaped the commercial and residential landscape of several of New York City's most popular neighborhoods, including Union Square, Greenwich Village, Chelsea, and Madison Avenue, bringing in retailers from fitness, fashion, beauty, eateries, salad bars, fine dining, and more. Prior to joining the firm, Bill was the first vice president at Chelsea Piers, a position that he held for nine years. As a senior member of the management team, he helped establish Chelsea Piers as the third largest tourist attraction in New York City and a strong neighborhood amenity that increased real estate value in the surrounding area. Get ready for a super inspiring conversation. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you have any questions, please feel free to DM or email me at moneyonthemove one at gmail.com. Also, leave a review on Apple. It's easy. Simply open your app, scroll through the 112 episodes, click on five stars, click on write a review and tell us what you love. And if you want to connect with Buckbinder Warren Real Estate, head over to their website, buckbinderwarrenrealestate.com. Now, on to the episode. And before we get started, a quick word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, 
CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code MARNIEONTHEMOVE. Now, on to the episode. You are a native New Yorker and the unofficial mayor of New York City. Where did your passion for this city begin? Well, I'm, first of all, you're too kind, the mayor of New York. I, I mean, Bill, you mayor. are the mayor. You unofficial. are the unofficial we, mayor do, of New York City. I do know a lot of people, but that happens when you grow up in New York and, uh, and you get older. So I I was born and raised in the Bronx, in case you couldn't tell by the accent, Uh and lived in what's now considered the South Bronx until I was a teenager, moved to the Northwest Bronx in Riverdale, and lived there pretty much until I met my wife. So during that time, I participated. I always have two careers. One is the one that pays the bills, and the other is my pro bono career. So in those two worlds, whether it's politics or, or not even politics so much as community service, and in my two careers, which have been sports management and also also now real estate, I've met a lot of people along the way. Your foray into your career was in real estate and sports management. Here, here's kind of the background. Right? Yeah. Growing up in the Bronx, went to college up in Boston, uh, came back, went to grad school at NYU and got my master's in sports management. And, Back in the mid-80s, when I was at grad school, there wasn't a gym on every corner. People, right. it, was, it was an emerging industry, personal training. Maybe there were two or three gyms in the whole city that did personal training at the time. So I was always a jock. I played, I wrestled in high school, got recruited to college for wrestling. I was on both the golf and wrestling team. And then, <laughs> and then in college, discovered rugby and was on Boston University's rugby team and continued to play on the U.S. rugby team at the Maccabi Games in Israel and various select sides and really toured all over the world playing rugby after I graduated from grad school where I went to NYU and got my master's in sports management. So I honestly always believed that you have to do what you love and I always love sports. So I went and got my master's in sports management where, as I said, at NYU where later I became an adjunct professor and I did that for about five years while I was working at Chelsea Piers. And in my sports management career, I did everything from open a preschool center in Long Island, in Rockville Center, Long Island, called Maple Park. I did that for about two or three years. Worked at the Riverdale JCC as phys ed director for a few years. And then to segue into you know, the Chelsea Piers part, I got recruited to Chelsea Piers. And I got there about six months after they opened. And my title was first vice president. I was part of the senior management team. There were mm-hmm. about four or five of us that helped create um, Chelsea Piers into, at that point, the fourth largest venue as far as visits in the entire city. So that was a very exciting time. It was it encompassed economic development. It acted as the anchor for economic development for really the whole Chelsea right. neighborhood. And it was a great time growing something and building something and helping to improve the city as a whole and working on a very, very exciting project, which, which combined my two passions, which were business and sports. And I was there for about 10 years. And now you are the director of brokerage at Buckbinder and Warren Realty Group. You oversee all commercial and residential sales and leases. Tell me a little bit about your career now and how you got into this. Sure. Well, my success in real estate is, is, is easy. I, I married well. So, <laughs> so um, when young people ask me advice, I say, that, you know, marry well. It, was, it's, uh, it makes your life a lot easier. But at the end of the day, listen, you can marry well, but after a certain amount of time, you're judged on your merits, your successes, and your failures. So I've been doing this 15 years now. Yeah. Uh, I was at Chelsea Piers for about 10 years. It had grown into 
you know, semi-mature business at that time, and it was time for a change. And my father-in-law made me an offer that I couldn't refuse and started off in, in the brokerage department, became the director of brokerage, and really jack-of-all-trades, master of none. We do residential, we do a lot of apartment rentals, we do commercial, retail rentals, office rental sales. So I do, I live in all those worlds, which is very rare in the brokerage community in New York. Usually people have specific things. It could be office leasing, or it could be retail leasing, or it could be residential rentals, residential sales. I right. do a little bit of everything. Do you specialize in any neighborhood specifically? Well, a sweet spot. So probably about 90% of what I do yeah. are sponsor units, properties that are controlled by the family. Our sweet spot is really Chelsea and the village, mm-hmm. although we do extend up to Madison Avenue as well and up to 105th, 106th Street and Central Park West, but definitely all of Manhattan and usually Chelsea and the village. And then Union Square also, right? Oh, yeah. Abs- no, absolutely. I mean, this I mean, is our home base. Sitting we're sitting at your sitting office here. in Union we're Square, and that's how we Union know each Square. other. And, and, you know, and it segues back into the commitment to the city itself. My father-in-law was the founding member of the Union Square Partnership, which I believe there's about 75 or 76 bids, business improvement districts in all five boroughs. This was the first one of them all, and he was the founding member. And through even before I met my wife, and joined her family, I was doing my own pro bono work and community work. And now I actually continue the tradition that my father-in-law started and I co-chaired a Union Square partnership and he, he created the A Street bid, which is known as the Village Alliance. Right. And I'm the treasurer of that bid. That's what I enjoy most about the commercial real estate part right. is you get to curate commercial corridors. So you're doing economic development and sure. you're doing community building. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, listen, that's been my whole life, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, not somewhat intentional and somewhat randomly, whether it was Chelsea Piers. I mean, it was a great opportunity. I was in sports management, loved sports, but that acted as the economic, as the anchor for economic development for Chelsea. I mean, Did Chelsea Piers have an equestrian center at one point? Uh, no, that was just north. That was Pier 62. Okay. It was an equestrian center. It was Basketball City started there. Right. Um, it had roller rinks, and now that's all been converted to part of the Hudson River right. Park. And then Question Center moved north, and then eventually they closed. Just being able to transform corridors like A Street. I remember growing up on A Street, it was either head shops or cowboy boots, like shoe right. stores. Right. And now we have tenants like Stumptown or Sarah McNally or Seas Candy, Loring Place. It's become, to, to a large degree, a restaurant corridor, a fine dining. But it's really, it's really fantastic to help transform communities like that. And what about Chelsea? How has Chelsea evolved over the years? Well, I mean, Chelsea was... It was kind of dangerous. A, a relatively rough neighborhood yeah. when, I, when I was growing up. I mean, yeah, as I said, between... I remember when I started Chelsea Piers, there was a gas station on 23rd and 10th, I think, 9th or 10th, and yeah. now that's a building. So, listen, I mean, Chelsea Piers was part of it, but... The art, art community had moved into Chelsea come up, coming up from Soho because it was more affordable. And then with the High Line opening, and people don't really understand, but the most valuable real estate is usually around parks. I mean, look at Central Park South, Central Park West, Fifth Avenue, Gramercy Park. So, I mean, just building the High Line, which is a linear park, all the development started rising around the park. So between the piers and the High Line, it certainly transformed the neighborhood, which is now a robust family neighborhood. It used to be a lot of single people, I think primarily single guys living in Chelsea. And now it's mostly, I mean, and that's changed too. So now the, the type of developments, instead of having studio apartments or one bedroom, so a lot more developments with two or three bedrooms right. in the area. So And you guys, you don't do any new development, do you? We've, we've never done new development. It's something, obviously, we've considered but yeah. we, we've never done that. And, and you know, we have partners in, in some of our properties, a lot of our properties we've thought about but never executed on it. Yeah, you have a lot of great buildings in Chelsea, like residential buildings, too, mm-hmm. that are really well Right. Like, I mean, well that, my, my yeah. father-in-law, you know, he was, he was probably the most well-loved guy I've ever met. Like, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about my father-in-law, Norman Buckbinder. Uh, quite the contrary. He's always 
they, people loved him. But as I've you know been in the industry a longer time, I realized that he really was a genius as far as selecting his property. A lot of corner properties, properties around schools like on A Street by NYU. And he really had a good eye. So a lot of them, not only residential, but mixed use. And even he was also a pioneer of converting buildings to co-ops and condos in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So even though we're still the sponsor in those buildings, and so we own a bunch of apartments in each of those buildings, we also own the retail. And as I said, that that's comprises about no, right, and that great. comprises about 90 to 95 percent of what I do on the brokerage on both the the residential and the commercial side. How do you see retail transforming well, for, today? First of all, you have several factors, right? I'll I'll just nail it down to three factors okay. that, that led us to where we are today, which was, frankly, with 25% of the retail stores in New York are, are either vacant or will or potentially coming on the market. One, it, it was the end of a natural cycle. There's economic cycles on Wall Street, and there's the same in real estate. So since 2010, mm-hmm. rents had been going up. So it was just the end of that cycle. That's number one. Number two is... Retailers change. Tech people, all the all the millenniums, they're all they wear jeans to work. They're not wearing suits. They're not getting dressed up. They're not even wearing khakis. They're wearing jeans, and right. it's very casual. So just the retail climate in general has changed. And third, of course, is the is Amazon or the online phenomenon. So those three things can create the perfect storm. So that and. Frankly, you have a political environment that's anti-business. I mean, it's very easy for the politicians on the state and local level to blame landlords because right. there's a lot more constituents that are tenants than yes. there are landlords. But the, the real issues I hear from small businesses are dealing with the city agencies, is uh, whether it's landmarks or Department of Buildings or the Health Department or getting a liquor license, SLA. So, you know, all these things combined to create a, a, a lot of vacancies, which, by the way, you know, in a capitalist society, right. the rents go up when there's less supply and more demand, and right. they come down when there's less demand and more supply. So the rents have come down. You know, two years ago, very few retail deals were getting done. I mean, rents on Madison Avenue, call it in the 50s, upper mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, went from $1,200 a square foot today. You know, I think you get an ask rent of about $800 a square foot. Wow. So, so I mean, the same thing happened in 2009-10. I remember yeah. the rents went from 1200 down to a low of about $600 a square foot. So that's not unusual. This is a sea change show. This, is, this, is, this retail as we know it, that was just, you know, a downturn in the economy. This is going to be a total transformation of retail. The, the word experiential is always used with retail. No one knows... Or, and I read a lot and speak to a lot of people in the industry, and I haven't heard anyone that could tell me exactly how long this transformation will take. It could take a couple of years. It could take anywhere up to 10 years from what I hear. But the bottom line, in my opinion, is how long will it take for retailers to figure out the value of bricks and mortar? You don't need 10 stores in Manhattan anymore. You can have one store or two store. People come in, they'll look at the product, they'll go online. Or they may even, there'll be an e-commerce component within the store itself where you could buy it online. From the store. From I the mean, store itself. It's like a hybrid of like a retail shop and a showroom for a brand mm-hmm. to have one or two stores in a key neighborhood near a park. Right. Well, retail's and, yeah. not going anywhere. Because yeah. the, the statistics and the data shows that bricks and mortar do better than online. People but, want to experience the culture of their right. brand in person. And that's going to transform. That's yeah. going to transform the way we, we, we shop. Right. Listen, also in the last two years, f- over 40 percent of all transactions have been on the retail level have been some sort of food and beverage, usually quick service, QSR, quick service restaurants, which is like right. the dig in the sweet greens and things like that. Not fine dining like Union Square Cafe, or, but the QSRs. So that's 40 percent of all transactions. And a large, another large percentage is fitness. Yes. You know, it's like all these boutique stores like um F45 or Core Power Yoga or Orange Theory or, right, or, or 3690 yeah, you, or you name it. It's all the spinning places, Soul Cycle, Equinox expands everywhere. So, um, so th- they've taken a lot of space as well. So it's transforming in retail, will find its way, and it's just going to take a little time. Retailers and brands need to learn how to 
optimize the digital and the brick and mortar to sort of bounce off each other and complement each other, but not to kind of cannibalize each other. Exactly. Figuring that out and and how much is that worth? You know, how much can you afford? It it used to be rent. Retail rent used to be 10% of your gross revenue. Right. Then over the last 10 years, it was, you know, not including the last two years, it was 20 is the new 10%. So it went up to 20%. You know, now it's adjusting again. It's going back to the ten percent, and and really, you know, how many stores do you need, right. and what do you need in the store, and what As does that word, look yeah. like? Yeah, exactly. You mentioned QSR. Are you seeing a lot more food and beverage type restaurants pop up as opposed to like a retail shop? Or when we do Union Square Sweat Fest and this mm-hmm. event that we created five right. years ago with you right. with Union Square Partnership to help drive traffic to all the fitness and wellness retailers in the neighborhood in the winter when people are giving up on all their New Year's resolutions and everything. We came up with this concept, which is was has been fairly successful in terms of very you know, successful. generating... Don't be humble, Marnie. Okay, very successful <laughs> in terms of generating sales for these retailers and generating new business. So are you seeing now, I noticed over the past five years, there has been a ton of fitness, then a lot of these QSR type dig-ins mm-hmm. and uh, sweet green, mm-hmm. pret. Also, now I see a ton of beauty, like NYX Cosmetics, Fresh Beauty, well, right near it, Steve. Ma- I'm just thinking ve- about Union ve- no, Square. No, ve- very astute. I mean, yeah. it, it's not only Union Square, but it's in it's in the entire city. That, that's one area that's expanded, cosmetics, because... Women don't want to shop for lipstick or, or online. Or online. No, you want to go, you want to try it on, have a different color, keep it live, keep it keep it it's exciting. You can't see the colors online as well as you, and it's not a big ticket item. So those companies, those cosmetics companies, or or retails like Deceum or Nars and all yeah. those companies, they're 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 that that is one segment that's expanding thanks to you, ladies. Yeah. Well, I think that also from a business perspective they can have more products in the space sure. to generate sales. Right, so like very, I very feel little like, storage and you can yeah. put a lot of product in So there's three, a lot to sell as feet. opposed to like five shirts. Sure. Right? No, or, absolutely. That's a good point. That's absolutely a good point. A lot of product in a small space and you don't need much storage. Do you see a lot of digital or independent brands doing pop-ups? Well, Temporary. I mean, here's the interesting thing. A lot of these companies like Google, Amazon, they're, they're taking bricks and mortar. Uh, right. Untuck it. I just I could probably think of a half dozen other companies that were online. Well, yeah, that were online yeah. that then went to bricks and mortar, right? So it, it's it, you see a transformation from instead of retail to online, the vice versa, the, the online to retail. So that's definitely happening. And, and, and frankly, if you look at the office area office leasing they had a very robust year and and office leasing continues to grow because of all the tech companies coming in like facebook taking a million square feet and in uh, union square right square but also in hudson yards i mean millions of square feet leased by various tech companies and that's who's really doing a lot of the leasing it started in Flatiron. it's worked its way down to union square then down to astor place 101 astor place and 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 then even south down to soho so now you have the tech hub being developed here on 14th street in union square which was the old pc richards site right so you have a tech just taking a ton of office space not only converting into retail but just taking millions of square feet of office space where do you think that comes from like why is that now all these tech companies are setting up shop in new york city in, and in certain neighborhoods, like, is there sort of a philosophy behind why there are so many? Well, you have, here? you have the greatest workforce in the world here. I mean, people, this is the place to be, despite, right. despite the ups and downs. New York City is the greatest city in the world. And the human, and, and what makes us great are the people, right. right? And we have the greatest people, the smartest people, the greatest educational institutions, NYU, Columbia, New School. I mean, you could go right down the list. And just the human intellectual power here is the reason to be here. It's the place to be. It's like the song goes. You make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? So, I mean, that's consistent. And do you feel like in terms of, you know, you mentioned a lot of these tech companies are doing commercial office space leases. Do you feel like a lot of these companies are buying out the WeWork spaces? It's uncharted territory as far as what's going to happen. But yeah. WeWorks was, I think, if not the largest, it's certainly the top three top landlords in the city. They were the largest landlord. 
anyone that got into them, most of those landlords were sophisticated people. So no one's gonna, no one should feel sorry for the landlords that leased to them. Right. The question was always, listen, if the market was fifty, say seventy five dollars a square foot, WeWork comes in, they lease it for market rate, maybe slightly under, but about market. And then they, if it's $75 a square foot, they can charge 90 or $100 a square foot, right? Because then you don't need security, you don't have to commit to any time. It could be the co-working facilities, it could be right. there are other concepts where they put one company in the space for a couple of years. But the question was always, well, what happens is the market tanks and the market goes from $75 a square foot to $50 a square foot, which happens. Right. I mean, as right. I said at the very beginning, there's, there, there's cycles. Things go up, things go down. Rents go up, rents come down. So that was the big question. And uh, obviously their IPO debacle, um, right. we'll, we'll see how things shake out now. But it's uncharted territory for the real estate, and for the real estate uh, community. I guess what would be some of the best spots to open a store in the city and from the perspective of traffic versus bang for your buck kind of thing. Like well, listen, yeah. I'm an advocate for Union Square. I always think Union Square is, you know, yeah, I mean, got to be Square one of the, the best. best spots yeah. simply because in, in, you know, these turnstiles right outside our door, you have 34 million people passing there. You have 380,000 pedestrians a day passing by this corner here. So Union Square is certainly a great value and, and it's young, it's vibrant, it's, it's, it's got a lot of techies around, and it's, and it's a transportation hub. But in general, it's a tenant's market. Any, it, anywhere a tenant wants to be, and, and they figure that out. You know, real estate professionals, brokers, that's, what, that's their job. And if a tenant's working, they should be working with a broker because the broker should educate them given the tenant's needs and demographics. Mm -hmm. A good, sophisticated real estate professional should be able to direct them to the area that's best for them. Or it may be predetermined because it's a franchise. Yeah. Whether it's food or fitness, like at 45, could have a franchise in this particular area. So you can, you, so that's already predetermined, right? right? right. So, but the good thing for any tenant, whether it's food, retail, or, or fitness, mm -hmm. is it's a tenant's market. So you could come in, if this was five years ago, four years ago, even three years ago, the tenant asking for TI, tenant improvement money, which could right. be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. The landlord wasn't really going to do it. Today, almost any landlord will give TI, along with concession, which is free rent. And the rents, if there was, you know, around the square, or let, let's say Madison, let, let's take an area in Chelsea. If it was three, $400 on an avenue, mm -hmm. it's probably now $200 a square foot on the avenue. And so, you know, do you want to be on the avenue? Do you want to be on the street? Streets are always less valuable as far as rent goes than, than on the avenue. In line is less valuable in the corner. A lot of gyms can't afford the price of retail, but right. you don't need that. You need an entrance. Then you could be on the second floor. You could be on the lower level where, where rents right. are a lot less expensive. So any real estate professional could help the tenant, but it's certainly a tenant's market now and will be for the foreseeable future as well. That's great. Your advice and insight for anyone that's looking to get into retail or open a store is pretty good. And since it's a tenant's market, now would be a great time for brands to come in and do a deal. And even if it is like an independent brand, they could, not when I say independent brand, like a smaller brand that's doing direct to consumer, like, you know, get a group of people together to like kind of bring their brand to life and do a temporary like short-term lease well, well I, yes i mean listen pop-ups are extremely popular now yeah. five years ago most landlords wouldn't have even considered it now right, every almost cheap, every yeah. landlord would the, the rents it's you have a lot more more ability to negotiate bandier started as do, a pop-up I, I they're a tenant now uh bandier i just put them into 1061 madison avenue their lease on 72nd expired uh, she's fantastic to work with a fantastic brand we're very happy to have them as a tenant uh, what i was going to say with what we see in the commercial core in the retail business Landlords have to be, and tenants have to be creative. You know, in the past, you used to do a five-year, probably at least a 10-year, so you can amortize your 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 build-out over, right. over the length of a 10, 12, 15-year lease. Mm -hmm. But now, almost every lease I do has some sort of out. It's like a 10-year with, you know, after a year or two or after six months or after five years, tenant has an option to get out with, you know, six months, nine months, 12 months notice. So you have to be really creative now and, you know, figure out ways the retail wants to protect themselves.
Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a whole new world. For all businesses. <laughs> um, you would think, well, it, yeah. you know, it all depends who has the leverage. It's yes. everything's, it's there's no leverage. rules in real estate. Everything's in negotiation. Two years ago, it was the landlords that had the leverage. Today, it's the tenants that have the leverage. So pop-ups are available. And that's great because you get to test the market. You get to see what kind of foot traffic there is, see what the point of sale is um, with a very little initial distribution or layout of money for a build out and then if it's successful then you could go hard with the lease and still right. have an option to leave you right. know after a couple of years so right. you've been doing this for how many years have you been, I've been like doing this about 15 years and i would by the way years. i love sports i was a jock you know i wrestled i i played rugby and uh, what are you doing you know, now what am i doing now well obviously not enough <laughs> <laughs> Now I work out my gym, which is a quarter block away, as we all know, convenience is the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. Been a little remiss lately, but my gym opens at 5.30, so I wake up at 5.10, get dressed, have my banana, and go over to the gym, work out for an hour, come back, wake up my kids. My wife and I have two beautiful daughters that are 15 and 13. One of my joys, one of my favorite parts of the day is driving them to school in the morning. Oh, that's so cute. And then I head into work. And you also have a Labradoodle. We do. We I know do. that from it's my Instagram. my wife's favorite daughter, yeah. Summer. <laughs> Summer the wonder dog. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love what I do, and I, I love the sports industry, and so I, I love brokers. And why do I love it? Because I don't do the same thing. I do something different every day. Yeah. Like, you know, especially in my job. Like I said at the very beginning, I do some residential. I do retail. I negotiate license agreements. I... I you could do office leasing. We could sell a building or, or buy a building. It's it just every day is a little bit different. And and I also said, I, and, and I've always had my pro bono piece. I, I got digress with my kids. So, I, yeah, so what do I do today for fitness? So it, after your I get, kids, you take your kids after, to school and, and I, you yeah. have the lab. But so now, so now I've been, you know, I work out. And, and my typical workout is one day I do some weights, like a circuit training. Like I used to go heavy and squat heavy and lift heavy now it's all light weights and just to kind of maintain movement and tone and the other day i do cardio when it's nice out i'll bike 25 miles fitness is so important it's always been an important part of my life i would say it's saved my life it's on so many levels on the physical but also psychological level just when you when i work out i'm not on my phone it's an hour. I'm unplugged. You get to think. You get to be with your own thoughts. You just, when I, when I get done working out at 6.30 in the morning, I feel like I've accomplished more than most people do in a day. So, and even if I do it at night, you just feel so much better. The endorphins are released. I mean, you have all sorts of physical manifestations that are positive, but also psychologically, you just feel great. So that's always been a part of my life. It will always be a part of my life. And it's very important whether working in the fitness industry or whether I'm working real estate, there's always got to be a part of my physical activity that I maintain. In addition to working out and training, you're a huge sports fan. I love sports, so I have giants. I have giant okay, season tickets. I mean, listen, it's a depressing time to be a sports fan in New York City because our teams have been terrible, except for the Yankees. I grew up 15 blocks from Yankee Stadium, so I remember yeah. going to the stadium with my dad and going to Mickey Mantle's retirement game and sitting behind one of the columns in the old stadium. You know, sports, just like anything, sports, food, smells, they, they bring back memories of when right. you were a kid. So I'm definitely a Yankees fan and love taking my kids to games or going to games on my own. I'm season ticket holder for the New York Giants. We've had a couple of rough years. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I go to a couple of Ranger games, a couple of uh, Knicks games a year. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so I, I love going to games. and um, So you've pretty much successfully built a career doing what you love. You even shifted gears at one point in your career, going from sports management and moving into real estate. So how did you turn real estate into something that you love? I think, I mean, it's an old saying, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. If I didn't enjoy it, I could always go back to managing sports facilities, whatever that looks like, right? But I love what I do because of the diversity. Just like when I was in the sports industry, every day is different. Yeah. Real estate, every day is different. So, And you interact with people. I like interacting with people. So real estate, it's, and it's, you get to leave a fingerprint on the city, when, especially when you do retail office leasing. I mean, residential, 
you rent an apartment, people come, people go, their families grow, they need a bigger apartment. But when you actually could drive down the street and say, oh, I put that tent there, we changed this block around because of who we put in. Or you see the way these stores look, look how beautiful they look as compared to this side of the street because that's because of, of, of our the work that we did. Do you put together an annual strategy of types of businesses that you want to bring in? Like, do you look at it that way on your vision board? Well, every week we have a meeting and we we brainstorm because it could change. Right. Because real estate changes. Real estate changes. I do a ton of reading. I read everything, everything from cranes to real estate weekly. I mean, everything I could possibly get my hands on. And you could see, oh, someone... This, this brand is expanding or this brand's looking for location in New York. So then you find out who, who the contact person is or who their broker is and you get in touch with that person. So we do that weekly. Yeah. Weekly. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's back to you are the unofficial mayor of New York City <laughs> because you basically know every single person in the city. I, and if I mention someone, you're like, oh yeah, I know them. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I mean, and also, like, beyond your day job, you're very involved in building communities and economic development in the city. You're co-chair of Union Square Partnership, and you are a member of the Greenwich Village, Chelsea. I'm a member, although I, I gave one of my colleagues. Um, he's he's representing the firm as vice, he's vice president now. Okay. My colleague, Matt Olden, is vice president, and Andreas is president of that chamber, and it's really a, a great organization that... But personally, I coach at Union Square Partnership. I'm treasurer of, of the Village Alliance, which is the A Street bid. But, you know, I've been doing this in the early, late 80s, early 90s. I was doing some work on myself and had an epiphany that we're all human beings, right? We're all made up of atoms and water and oxygen. And, and there's no difference between you, me, and and. Martin Luther King or Benjamin Franklin. It's just, what's the difference? It's the commitment. Like, what are you committed to? And so I realized I had a commitment to ending crime and the possibility of ending crime and violence in the world. So then I started getting involved with my community. And it started off showing up at a community board meeting. This is way back when I owned my preschool center in Long Island and lived in Riverdale. And I showed up and I said, how do you get involved? And they said, well, you have to be appointed by the council person or your borough president. I had no idea who either one of them was because I was right. apolitical. Well, fast forward, then I went to the JCC. I closed my preschool center, went and started working at the JCC in Riverdale, and I met the borough president at the time, who was Freddie Ferrer, and I met the councilwoman, who was June Iceland, and they said, you should get in the community board because I was going to meetings anyway, right? right, just as an involved citizen, right, which we all should be. And so I got in the community board, and as in most things in my life, eventually I became the chair of the community board, community board number eight in Kingsbridge Heights, Riverdale, and became a member of the... Then the next step was, well, you also have to get involved with politics. This is also right. a community service, and so I became... And you were apolitical at the time. Right, and then, yes. That um, you knew of. That, that, yeah, but then I met a lot of people, as you said. I, I do know a lot of people and became president of the Ben Franklin Reform Democratic Club, which was up in Riverdale. The JCC, I was there for about two or three years before I got recruited to Chelsea Piers. I, after I left there, I got on their board of directors, eventually became president of the board of directors at the JCC. And when I shifted into real estate, I started representing my father-in-law was older at the time, and he, I would go with him to the various meetings for Union Square. And now, as I mentioned, you know, I have leadership roles in, in, in those organizations too, but I think it's, it's critically important that we all get involved. You know, it, it, as I said a while ago, what makes the city greater to people? Yeah. And we have to be involved. And unfortunately, not enough of us get involved because most people of a silent majority yeah. are trying to work, put food on their table, give their kids a better life than they had. Right. So they don't have time or don't want to get involved. But unfortunately, that leaves time for the vocal minority to uh, take more of a leadership role, which is which is usually not a great thing that happens. So I could say that in the last five years, I've realized what I'm passionate about beyond my work, you know, beyond like the day-to-day stuff that I do. And it really, but I didn't realize it. I wasn't able to kind of articulate it or see it clearly until maybe the last two years that when people start to talk about like, what's your why or what are you passionate about? It's it's health and wellness for me and mm-hmm. affecting and helping people through that, whatever that is, like mm-hmm. whether it's this podcast and inspiring 
people to make time in their day for a workout, showing them that the most successful people in the world work out and find time to, whether it's meditation or hit the gym, even if it's like one or two times a week. I think a lot of people should think about that, especially in New York City and especially now. In terms of politics and in terms of community and like really getting involved. Right. Well, I think younger people these days are starting to get more involved. Like you have a 13-year-old. Right, a 13-year-old, 15-year-old. Well, I can tell you, I vote in every election, whether it's a primary, whether it's a special election. I'm one of those guys. Simply because I think our country is, is probably the greatest democracy of all times. And what makes us the greatest democracy is our ability for each individual to vote. And it drives me crazy that we have such a small percentage of people that go out and vote. But right. I've always taken both of my daughters to, to vote with me every time. And you try to instill those values into them how, about how important it is. And listen, they're individuals at this point, at 15 and 13, and they are who they are already. Yeah. But I'd like to think that my wife and I have given them values and, and, and have instilled in them the import, that they make a difference. The, the, the worst thing as a human being, I mean, is yeah. to not realize what a powerful force you are or can be. Right. I mean, once you have that epiphany where you realize you could get people into fitness and that you're passionate about it, then it turns you on. You're excited. You live a passionate, excited life. Yeah. And so the importance is to realize how how important you are and what what a difference you can make, whether you intend to or not. We make a difference in people's lives every day, every day. And when you realize you do, you could really ratchet up a notch, you know, and really transform neighborhoods, curate commercial corridors. Or when I was on the community board, I helped drive a 197a which led to rezoning which in certain areas we saw that the economics would lead to development in certain areas mm-hmm. where single families can now be converted into sliver buildings which we didn't really want and there were other areas like on broadway uh, in, in the 230s in yeah. kingsbridge that we needed economic development in so we downzoned parts to to stop economic development we upzone parts to en- enhance and increase economic development. Changing zoning is a really was, big deal. Well, the 197A is the beginning, which was yeah. the plan, and then the 197C, which is uh, parts of the city charter, then lead to ULERP, which then leads to the rezoning. Um, and now you have a 100,000-square-foot um, shopping center on Broadway in the 230, 231st because that rezoning, and now you have less development in the community where they didn't want the development, right? right? So, and I, I will add, no matter what you do, there's always the law of unintended consequences, uh. right? So before, while we were passing this thing, this 197A, which took six, seven years to push through, I mean, it finally happened yeah. when I was chair, but before it, it got ULARP, the 197C, developers, there was a rush to development to put shovels in the ground so they could get the developments in before the laws changed, right? Before the zoning changed. So that was the law of unintended consequence. But now, uh, you know, I'd like to think one of my goals is to leave wherever I am, whether it's where I live or where I work, a better place than when I started or when I, when I move out. So I like to think I left Riverdale, Kingsbridge and that part of the Bronx a better place. I like to think I left Chelsea Piers is a better place, and I like to think I enhanced Buckbinder and Warren to a degree, and I like to think that the tenants we put in also enhance the neighborhoods. We're all people. We're all here together. We have different opinions, but I think being educated, knowing the facts, not rushing to choices, and looking at ourselves critically is very important, and leaving wherever we are a better place. That's awesome. This has been great. Are you still teaching at NYU? No, and I, you know I was teaching in the sports management department, right? Yeah. And when I left Chelsea Piers, I, I continued for about a year or two. But you know I left that to people still in the industry. Yeah, it's something you should consider, Marnie, becoming an adjunct professor somewhere teaching I... fitness. I would. <laughs> you know, I'll add it to I'll, my I'll leave, list leave, of new ideas I'll leave, for the I'll week. leave it to people like you. Now, you know, actually, I would actually I, be an adjunct at professor. some point, yeah. maybe I'll go look at NYU and look at, you know, maybe doing something in the real estate department. It's, you know, the reason why I did is to contribute back to kids. I've been very, very fortunate in my life. I mean, for I was the first one in my family to go to college. My grandfather, who I never met, passed away, came here in 1891, Ellis Island. I, before Ellis Island was even built, right? Because um, so they came into Battery Park. I think Ellis Island was built in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And he came here as 13 years old. So the fact that... In Where a, was he from? 
Poland. Okay. Actually, one of my cousins did our genealogy back to 1600. So we go back to, from my father's side, we go back to Bialystok, Poland. And uh, the fact that in two generations, from the first guy to go to college to doing what I'm doing now and the life that my kids have, it's, it's only in America. Right? Yeah. Only in America, and, only, and particularly in New York, is something like that. It's, I'm living the American dream, so I feel so fortunate. And I, you know, I'll never let my kids forget that. It's just so important to pass that on to my kids, at least for me, yeah. to realize don't take things for granted. Don't take things for granted. Realize how fortunate you are. And because we're so fortunate, because I've been so lucky, mm-hmm. contribute back to society. Yeah. Because we're all here together. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. That was part one. Now for part two, I called Bill and asked him a couple questions about the state of the retail and real estate market today as of April 6th. How is Buckbinder Warren navigating through these tough economic times? Well, I guess there's two answers for that because we're or three answers, right? One is wearing the cap of the landlord. Two is from our management business and three is from the brokerage business. So from a landlord's perspective, landlords like everyone else are getting hurt by this. No one's going to pay rent, no retail tenant, office tenant, residential, or I shouldn't say no, but most tenants are not going to pay. And landlords have bills to pay too. And so how do you navigate that? And how do you navigate your payments? And how do you navigate keeping assets afloat and operational when you have no income or very little income coming in. So that's from a landlord's perspective. And frankly, we've received many requests from office tenants, retail tenants, and residential tenants saying or requesting that they're not going to pay their April rent, maybe May rent. And frankly, us, like many landlords in the city, are just taking all the requests and holding on to them for now because no one knows how long this is going to last. Is it going to is that is going to be business as usual in May or June or August or September? I don't think any landlords are responding, and certainly we're not. We're just acknowledging receipt, and now that federal package is out, the relief package is out. There's lots of small business loans and other loans that individuals and corporations and businesses could take. So that, that, that's one part of the answer as far as the landlord's have. For management, it, it's a constant challenge, working remotely and still keeping residential and office buildings afloat and, and servicing them. You still have to keep them clean and now sterile and, and super still have to clean and take out garbage. And in some instances, let's say A Street, the dozen buildings that we have in on A Street or in Chelsea, dozens of buildings. In that case, those buildings have more tenants in them than usual because people are working remotely or for buildings that we manage like co-ops or condos, which are doorman, more higher amenity buildings. Those buildings have a lot fewer people in the buildings because people went to their second homes and have left the city. So with, with and a lot of buildings aren't allowing move-ins or even move-outs and or renovations or sales to continue. So that's a challenge from the management perspective. And obviously from the retail perspective, it's getting decimated. Almost all the businesses except for supermarkets or pharmacies that are flourishing, but every other business is either closed or doing it's a food business. At best, they're doing takeout. So all these businesses now are making no revenue. A lot of retailers have very, very slim margins and their cash flow. They have very little reserve cash flow. They're going to need help at least for a couple months to get over the initial lack of cash coming in, even when we're on the downside of the corona curve. It's still going to be very difficult. I heard from a lawyer who's very involved with restaurants that Mm -hmm. if this continues for more than two months, it will put 35% of all restaurants out of business. And for every month it continues after two months, it goes up 20%. Wow. 
So a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses will not make it through the coronavirus, which then to continue on the retail, which, as I said previously, it's been a tenant's market. It'll make it even more of a tenant's market because there's going to be more vacancies. And, you know, opening up a restaurant, when you close it down, there's a lot of loss because you lost factor because you lose the food and everything else. And to boot up a restaurant, you have a lot. It's cash heavy as well to get the supply, get the food, et cetera. So you think restaurants are going to be hit the hardest? They're certainly going to be hit the hardest, but so, so is re- everyone's going to be hit hard. Yeah. No one's coming out as unscathed except for pharmacies and supermarkets. That's the overall retail perspective. And from the brokerage perspective, no deals are going on now. The only thing brokers are working on is either representing the tenants asking for rent concessions or if there were deals going on, which almost every transaction is on hold that I know of, just trying to get more concession, close the deal. But the unknown and the unpredictability of how long this will last is the uncertainty is never good for business. How do you think retail is going to change? So I think a couple of things. It, it all depends on how long this lasts. Right. There'll, there'll be opportunities. People will come back and they'll open new restaurants. And I think that trend of QSRs and gyms will continue for the foreseeable future. But for the initial impact, the existing restaurants and, and retailers are going to be hurt. But we'll see. You know, no one, no one knows the answers, but at least short term, it's not a pretty picture for landlords or tenants. It feels like we're in a holding pattern. Maybe, like you said, in a couple months, we'll start seeing a shift in terms of retail. Absolutely. No one knows how long this is going to last. No one knows how bad it's going to get. And until we're on the downside of the curve and things are starting to come back to some semblance of normal, then we'll be able to determine it. But I can tell you, no one from a retail perspective is optimistic. And But after the dust settles, there's always opportunities that come up, but unemployment's going to be crazy high, vacancies are going to increase from the high that they are now. It's, it's going to be a rough year ahead of us, even after the dust settles. You've lived through 9-11, through Hurricane Sandy. How do you think that New York City will bounce back? No question. New York will bounce back. As I've said several times, the intellectual capacity of, of the human of the people in the city is tremendous. That's our, our people are our greatest asset. We are the center of commerce, center of intellectual property, the central the center of the smartest workforce. So we will bounce back, just like almost every other city in the world will as well. It's just a matter of uh, how long it will take. You had just talked about how rents, retail and rent may go up 10% was what you had said when we, you know, originally did this podcast. But what are some new incentives and offerings that brands or people may see as a result of COVID-19? There's no question as far as new incentives that it's not new, but greater concessions, right? Greater concessions, greater free rent. That's unquestionably going to happen in new transactions and, frankly, concessions for existing retail or office tenants. That, that's just, there's no question that's going to happen. Um, I think the rents will continue to come down now um, because of, there will be more vacancies. As far as other new incentives that landlords providing tenants, I've been speaking to many people about this because it was a great question. And right now, no one really knows, other than the government incentives for loans and things like that. But as far as landlords, the only thing I've heard so far is uh, concessions being adjusted to deal with existing tenants and any future deals. People are generally being understanding, and everybody's in the same boat. It, it is what it is, and this is what it is. Right. I mean, for, for now, absolutely. You know, because no one knows when it ends, and... Um, So there's not a lot of responses now. And whenever you deal with the federal government, you know, and like you said, I I was around during Sandy and I was around during 9-11. And whenever you deal with the federal government or whenever an individual or business is dealing with the federal government, particularly when it comes to getting money, 
never an easy process. So let's see how these businesses fare with the new incentives the government's providing and, and also the state's providing and also the city's providing. Let's see how businesses fare with that. But at the end of the day, when when we, we get through this, which which we will, I mean, I am an eternal optimist, so we will get through it. It's a bump in the road and we'll come back to especially New York City will come back, but no one knows how long it'll take and no one knows the degree of the type of recession we'll go into. And what I'm reading is it's going to be pretty severe. So we will see. But as far as concessions go and how long it takes, no one really has the answer or no one's been creative yet because we just don't know the extent of the damage. How do you think the coronavirus will affect future leases and contracts? Well, I, I know for a fact that lawyers are working on it now, adding new clauses into the leases. It could be as much as two. It'll be at least a page of text, maybe two pages, dealing with force uh, majeure, pandemic items as far as rent payments and things like that. So unquestionably, just like there were issues after 9-11 with terrorism, Sandy, with, with hurricanes and weather, adding to the force majeure part of the leases, there will unquestionably be a lease page. I'm hearing up to two pages, text and content, dealing with pandemic and how that affects insurance and rent. Now that there is a global pandemic and sporting events around the world have been canceled or postponed, what are you looking forward to when they start to come back? Well, I, I will tell you this, that it's better to have bad home teams than no sports <laughs> at all. It's yeah. So right you'll now, take those bad watching, teams now. Watching old games and NCAA games we're in March now, uh, or now we're in April, actually. But um, some sports is better watching old games. So I, I do miss having sports on TV and replays of classic games just isn't cutting it. So, by the way, I asked the two questions about the lease and the future of retail in, in my wrapping on my Zoom call earlier. So this is totally relevant and, and totally on spot with the best and brightest in the retail and landlord community. So. That's awesome. This has been so great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Marnie. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.